0: Welcome to Conversations with Future Generation, I'm Louise Walsh, the CEO of Impact Investing Companies Future Generation Australia and Future Generation Global. In this series, we explore the worlds of investing, philanthropy, mental health and supporting children and youth at risk with amazing Australians who are leading the way. Joining us today is David Paradise. David is the founder and managing director of Paradise Investment Management and has over 35 years of experience in equity investments. Paradise Investment Management invests in equities around the world with offices in Australia and the US. He has approximately $15 billion under management. He was awarded an Order of Australia for service to the community through philanthropy and investment management and is currently a board member of Future Generation Australia, Chairman of the Toronga Foundation and Go Foundation Investment Committee. David is a man of many passions, including sport, the arts, environment, education and humanitarian causes. Welcome, David.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Firstly, the life of David Paradise is a big topic, and look, we've only got I don't know so much time this morning. But let's start with an easy one. What are your top three tips for investing?
1: Well, it's it's difficult to put it into top three picks, but I suppose when I'm looking at a company investing, um, and it's a passion for me, uh, investing and and just talking about how well companies are, are, are run. Uh, the, the focus is business strength, I suppose you could say, um, and and management of that business. You know, as they all say, you can put uh, average management in a business and they'll generally wreck the business, but you put good management into an idea and they'll make it work. Um, earnings and cash flow and the, and the fundamental um, operations of, of, a, of a business and the dynamics of that business. So in, in short, it's uh, management and business strength, earnings, cash flow.
0: Where would you invest your money today, Australia, Asia or global? If you had to put it into one only of those three, could you give us an answer to that one?
1: I suppose just in the current environment, um, the view at the moment, it's a hard one. Interest rates are probably the lowest point they've been historically. uh, You know, some areas there are negative interest rates. That has an effect on valuations and, and where people put their money. So... Uh, you, you know, you've got a stock market that's going up quite strongly. You've got um, fundamental change in the way the businesses uh, operate. In other words, COVID's forced a lot of people online, and so you've brought forward technology and development technology a lot over many years. Brought forward many, many, many years. So, for example, e-commerce over, over April and March and April went up ten percent on the internet, uh, retail, e-commerce on the internet, it took 10 years to get that prior to that. So what's happened, it took 10 years, it's taken um, eight weeks to, to happen this year. So that's had a fundamental change on technology and combined with COVID, you've had this massive increase in what they call you know, growth stocks, technology stocks. However, uh, there's been a significant amount of money at the moment being spent by various governments around the world on stimulus packages, so the job keeper, the job seeker, things like that, that have been spent in Australia and also spent overseas. What this is creating is uh, it's creating a, a pretty strong, robust economy, and Australia at the moment has been benefiting from having a strict regime when it comes to. Uh, handling a COVID thing and, and and people and the economy is freeing up and you've got this massive stimulus package behind it. So you're getting a strong economy. So uh, whereas as opposed to America at the current time, although, you know, there's a lot of big technology companies over there, um, the valuations are becoming quite full um, on some of those. But if the economy starts turning, there may be some of these, these kind of cyclical stocks, value stocks that have been left behind because of low interest rates may start to turn around. So um, in the short term, it's probably safer to buy some of those particular value stocks. But also it is interesting, I think the currency, if if you get a strong economy in Australia and you may get an increase in interest rates, it's hard to see that at the moment, but the economy keeps on going like it is, it may happen where you might get tiny unemployment. That'll increase interest rates. Whereas in the US, it probably looks a bit more difficult because they haven't been as strict with COVID. And so you would think that if rates stay stay down in, in America but start increasing in Australia, plus you get a strong iron ore price, it's creating, strength in the Aussie dollar.
0: Going around the world as you've done for so many years, doing meetings with companies and analysing stocks, I mean, what do you think is the key to success for a particular company?
1: Uh, I think realistic vision and expectations under-promise, and and over-deliver is is very significant. And to have, when I talk about realistic vision and expectations, I mean, that does come down to to a company, uh, to the company management, and a company which has a a guy at the helm who can see a vision, but it's a realistic vision. Um, I've seen a lot of people come and see me and they've got these visions, but they're just unrealistic. And uh, that comes because management aren't great. Uh, at being able to pick out the vision and what's 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 what can really happen, and a lot of that is to do with lateral thinking and uh, judging the tide of various economies. So, for example, Jeff Bezos many years ago decided that you know the internet was going to be a big thing uh, for distribution, and he's built a mass, massive business around that. So that's a vision. That's a, that was a realistic vision, and you know I think um, I mean his expectation. No one was expecting that thing to happen as a as it's happened, um, and is over-delivered, I'm sure.
0: Great example of big vision and then, you know, delivering on it. Now, I mean, just sort of related to that, just to to give you a little bit curly question, what's the best lie you've heard from a company CEO or senior executive? I mean, you don't obviously need to name names, but I bet you've seen a few in your time.
1: I'm not sure whether it's a a lie. Maybe it is, actually. I, I do remember, this is quite a long time ago, but it was in early 2000, uh, the market was moving up pretty much like it was at the moment. And uh, Australia, a lot of the technology stocks in Australia were moving up. And, and you might remember that, that back in 2000, you had things that like open telecommunications, for example, which was capitalised at over a billion dollars, um, end up going broke. And, and there are numerous carcasses in subsequent years of technology, small technology companies that were being valued on overseas technology companies uh, that end up you know going broke because they couldn't reach expectations and because they were a, a basically on the overall world scheme they were, they were a tiny company and they just couldn't fund the growth that was necessary to justify the valuation that was being paid but I remember one company a technology company talking to me and saying I, I was it was about March and the end of the year was coming up the end of the, Junior room was coming up, and I said, "You know, if um, you got an idea about what you, you're you going to to make?" Um, you know, we went through all the various revenue generating the co- lines, the cost lines, and all that kind of stuff, and came out, at, you know, what I thought looked like a number. And then I looked at the broken reports and the breaking. I looked at the brokers, and I think the numbers were like it was it was say a, a billion dollar company at the time. I think there was an expectation of zero profit, in one broker, about $175 million from another broker and $150 million for another broker for a profit report three months away. Now, you think that that company management would have been able to determine, and the number I worked out was totally different to that. What that highlighted to me, all, all these differing answers, um, said to me, well, company was not across what they're doing, and they weren't able to articulate clearly what they were doing to the marketplace, because we were having these differing answers as to around the marketplace about as to what they were going to make. Further, I could tell by talking to him that he was saying a lot of things that I want to hear, and that was because I think he was probably hiding a business which was in in, in decline, and uh, in the end, that company did end up going broke.
0: You strike me as an incredibly curious person. Where did you get that trait from?
1: I come from one of six. I was never handed a lot of stuff on a plate for me. You know, I always had to make my own way. Um, I did grow up in the country, and I spent not much time inside. Um, I think just made me... Think, uh, Curious about the environment around me. Um, I've also travelled quite a lot, and uh, I just find business and the way that businesses work—it's just something that I, I love. But I think it's—it's it's come from. I'm just thinking about my siblings. I <laughs> better be careful. I've got
0: five. <laughs> they'll be I've listening. Got five, I've got five of them, <laughs> and they'll be listening. Don't worry after this.
1: <laughs> and and um, actually, all of them are very are very worldly, and they look outside and they're interested in what's going on around them and and i i think that uh in my in the business here our business here i try to employ people that that have an interest that that are interested in what's going on around them and can talk about worldly things and and for me talking to people like that um increases my curiosity
0: there's a lot of money, you know, that can be made in this funds management industry as, as we know. I mean, how do you, how do you keep motivating your team? Um, obviously, it's not just about money. I mean, what, what, how does that all work at your end?
1: So it's absolutely not about money and, mm. uh, and I think that's why we've done reasonably well because it's about delivering re- returns for our clients. Without returns for our clients, we don't have a business. And it's about doing that over a long period of time. Um, sure, everybody in the business has done has done okay, done reasonably well. But it's interesting, all of us are still turning up at starting at 7 in the morning, all the senior uh, money manager guys. Uh, and, you know, wherever you go, we just love chatting about it. Many years ago, I used to... Uh, I, was, I was, this is after university or no, between school and university, I went and was driving a harvester, a wheat harvester up in Kurundai and you go to the, the pub after to have a few drinks and they always talk about their headers and, uh, you know, they're passionate about their headers. And, uh, when, I was in Sk- when I'm in Scone in the Hunter Valley, which is a, a horse place, you know, you go to the pub and have a chat and they're all passionate about their horses. When I'm with these blokes here, if we're having a drink on a Friday afternoon or whatever it is, or yeah. having a cup of tea, it's all about stocks. Everything's yep. about stocks. You know, yep. it's because yep. they a passionate about stocks and these guys aren't doing it for their money. They're doing it, one, because yep. they want to be competitive, one, because they want to win, and two, because they're passionate about what they do.
0: Yeah, totally. I suppose it's, you know, it gets it gets in the blood, doesn't it? It's almost like part of the, the DNA. I see that here. You know, I work out of the Office of Wilson Asset Management and it's a very similar. I see that amongst the investment team. You know, it's 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 a joy for them to... Talk about
1: it. I mean, I do have it. It's funny. Every now and then, I do do put a lot of time-wasting. In fact, I remember going out with our small-cap guys to see a company. This is quite a few years ago, and we're at the elevator, and I started joking around with the CEO. You know, just making a few jokes. We'd finish the meeting and stuff like that. Anyway, the the two Rishi and Adam, they could see that we're moving into the area of time-wasting. And so they just left. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fantastic. not going to hang around with this old bloke that he having jokes that, that aren't really funny that he thinks are funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> fantastic. Well, listen, on another note, what's your take at the moment on COVID and its impact? And when do you think you'll be getting a vaccine shot?
1: I think I'll probably get a, a vaccine as soon as it's safe to get a vaccine, I suppose, and I will be getting a vaccine. I do travel a bit from here to, to America and here to the UK. I'm obviously not keen to get it and I'm keen to protect myself as much as I can. So I'm keen to to have a vaccine and trust that the work has been done on it. I do think that the uh, COVID thing has brought forward a lot of technology and made life differently. In a positive note, it's actually made people stay at home and be with their families more often. And for example, Australia, uh, there's obviously not a lot of traveling overseas by people. So people are beginning to to have holidays at home and find areas along the coast or country or wherever it is that they hadn't seen before because they're always going overseas. Now, those overseas dollars, those that money that was supposed to be going overseas is obviously being spent here. And so there's, there's positives in that respect. It's also brought forward, um, the, the as I said before, the technology and the use of technology. And that's efficient in many, many ways. Now, I think a lot of people nowadays uh, will be doing, continue to do Zoom calls They'll come into the office, but they will continue to do Zoom calls. That takes a lot of time from traveling and that time can be spent with the family or can be spent with the work. But generally, if you're at home, it's going to be spent with the family. So I think there's a massive benefit. You know, I'm a big one on, on family and having a balanced life. And uh, I, I do think that technology, you know, the phone and stuff like that has enabled us to to be able to to juggle the work and and the family life. And and further, I feel that the, uh, as I said before, the stimulus packages around the world and and especially Australia um, have basically helped us bridge the gap um, of the recession um, and and basically kick-started the economy again. And and I see it just in the streets of Sydney nowadays. It's, It's such a pleasure to be able to feel that where you go anywhere, you're safe, and um, that's creating economic stimulus and, and growth. Whereas, you know, um, in America, it's kind of like a, a rolling lockdown. Um, I mean, they're not locked down, that's the problem, but it's so massive over there now and I'm not, not sure what they do. But, you know, for Australia, I think they've handled it. Ha- I think the government has handled it well, uh, generally. And, um, and now you've got the stimulus package and I, I think it's. everybody's going back to work or generally. Um, I mean, I know that there's a lot of hospitality people can't find people because they're doing quite well off their job keeper, But that will finish in March and things will be back to normal.
0: I reckon we all get at least one lucky break in life. And of course, some people are fortunate that they get many, while some, some very few, unfortunately. Um, what's your biggest break
1: that you've had? So we manage money for many of the pension funds in Australia. And when I started... In uh, January 2000, I left uh, where I was working, and I went in to see a. Uh, so I was working at ING, I left there, and I went and saw a consultant that used to back us at us, ING, who um, went around the corner, and, and I <laughs> said to them, uh, "You know, this is what I'm. I'm leaving. I've left, and will you will you support me?" And they said, "No, um, no, we won't support you." And I remember walking out, thinking. <laughs> You know, I think I was making $112,000 a year when I left or something like that, you know, I, I, I had a lot of debt from and, a and house, that is, and so it wasn't great. But um, uh, JANA, which is John A. Nolan Associates, the consultant, were keen to support us, did a lot of work on, on the way that I did my stuff, and I had quite a good track record. I had five years of significant performance at ING, and uh, so I was able to win their support and then intern they put me in touch with their clients and the rest, of the retail employee superannuation trust, who've been a great support of our yeah. business. There you uh, go. Were, we're able to support us. So I think it's it's winning the support of those those guys that have continued to to be successful in their own right because I suppose they support young blokes like me or what I was young. <laughs>
0: like. Very good, very good. As a contrast, is there one regret in life that stands out? What did you learn from it?
1: It's a hard one because I, I do think I don't like, you know, conflictual situations, and I try to manage my way through those situations and and probably kick things down the road a bit and stress out on those particular issues. Um, but then maybe if I'd been a bit harder and tougher and a bit bit firmer, then maybe I wouldn't have been able to have built the business that we have now. So you know, I do I do have a regret in some respects about. It. <laughs> Not being a conflict guy, sometimes kicking kicking an issue down the road and deferring a decision.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't beat yourself up too much about that. I reckon there be quite a few people around town that would share that one with you. And what do you think about often that you haven't actioned or not yet?
1: Not, not, not really. I, I think there are some times when there, are, you know, I sit there and should I do it or should I not do it? And I always think I should generally do. Do something, you know, make something happen. So, you know, we set up a small cap product, a mid cap, large cap product here. We set up a global, smaller mid cap out of Denver. We set up a, an emerging markets fund out of San Francisco. I'm looking at doing something out of the UK in a, in a global all cap equities product. And over that period of time, there are various teams that I've come across, especially in the global equities product, that maybe I should have pounced on. But, but they're big decisions, you know, which you need to think through enough. And so I think I think it's maybe not jumping on some of those opportunities. Many years ago, I was as, a, as a, I was offered um, a shareholding. This is like, years ago, shareholding in Channel Channel Ten. I didn't have, have enough money to do or be able to share it with someone. I, I didn't know anybody around at that point in time to be able to do that. And I think. Uh, those guys end up making twenty times their money, or somewhere like other over a short period of time. Uh, so that's probably not 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 that's not a regret. It's probably a regret I didn't have any money. That's <laughs> a <the> missed opportunity.
0: <laughs> yeah, at the time, oh, things would be different. as today. Mm. On another note, you have certainly had some serious health scares, including, I gather, two cancer bouts, and I also gather you've got half a kidney. Now, why do you keep doing? what you do I mean did those scares make you reassess things and change uh, any of your focus
1: that's a really good question actually so I feel it did make me focus a bit more I'm still a bit of a stress head my mum calls me a bee in a bottle and I am quite a busy kind of guy I do try to chill out a bit um but um I enjoy what I do no, I don't like the the traveling Um, And that's probably a a bit of a regret. But then I do enjoy the rough and tumble of business and learning new things every day and talking to people about how businesses operate and, you know, operating this business as well. So I I, um, I suppose since those times I've probably been a bit more balanced. I used to get a lot more up until those times. So I actually have had three bouts of cancer. So I've lost one. Oh, wow, far out. Okay, right. I had prostate and then I lost lost 20% of the other kidney. so I've got 80% of one. But I I have learned to try and get a learned, much more balanced life and um, I love being with my family and I love being with my friends and I love having a laugh and not taking life so seriously and not trying to make every single post a winner. Lose on some things and win on some things, but as long as I don't beat myself up on the losing on one thing, then there's... As long as I've still got my health and my family, and my friends, and uh, and the business, then yeah, I mean life's not too bad. You
0: know? Now, on a even more personal note, I know you've got an adopted daughter, and I I read it took, I believe, five years for the adoption to take place. That's incredible persistence, and I'm guessing it must have been a frustrating process. Can you share with us some more about that one?
1: Yeah, so I, I have two two sons who are now twenty one and and 24 and uh my adopted 11 year old girl sabine is now 11 so it was 11 years ago that we um, we did that so the boys would have been 10 and 13 and uh we probably yeah took took probably seven years so we we thought we had that point in time a 7 10 and a 13 year old whatever it is which would be more more closely uh aged but uh yes it took a long time and and it was interesting, there was probably 10 couples that started down this process and uh, my wife was, had always wanted to adopt and, and she was quite keen and I was quite keen and there's probably less people born on, on there's probably a lot, a lot of people born on in this world and so our view was, well, you know, maybe we could adopt, or adopt one and take less pressure. If everybody does their own little bit in the world, then it's a, a good thing. And, um, yeah, I'm very passionate about, as you know, the environmental side of things and I think, um, you know, everybody, everybody does their bit, then everybody recycles a bit and does this, then it does help help the world. But it did take us a long time and I do remember we, we knew we were close to hearing about it and I flew up to Hong Kong for a uh, meeting and I literally landed, went to the hotel and then uh, I got a call saying, you know, uh, You've been selected for this child, you know, you you need to get the documents signed and I told rang up and told my wife and the documents probably could have been signed over a couple of days or we had to get them done sooner. Anyway, next thing I know, I'm getting back in a taxi and flying back down straight away. <laughs> <laughs>
0: not once left, in a moment.
1: I literally landed and she said, No, you're not gonna to go to that conference. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: Well, that's a bit. Okay. That's about the balance in life, isn't
1: it? <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. And it has been. A, it has been a wonderful, wonderful experience. And uh, she's a beautiful, a beautiful human being. And uh, no, it's been been the best, one of the best things that we've we've ever done in our lives.
0: I know it also must have been a life highlight last year when you met the Queen of all people after you won that big polo tournament in the UK. Can you tell us what it was like meeting Her Royal Highness?
1: Well, it was a bit of a funny story. So I was over there doing some work because I'm looking at doing this global equity team, and I thought, well, on the weekends I may as well play play polo. So I got a call, and they, we put together this team, and it was uh, we went in and we lost we lost two uh, the first two games, and we're about to be knocked out of the tournament, and then. You know, we just managed to start winning, and we were kind of like the Jamaican bobsled team, where we're a low, <laughs> we're a low budget team, and, and nobody had any expectations. And I was playing with these, I was playing with the two best English players and uh, a really good Argentinian player. And after we lost the second game, and we were about, we thought we we're going to play the third game and get wobbed again. I could see them looking at each other, thinking, "Why the heck did we agree to play with this bloke?" <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, and uh yeah we were just very fortunate to then things just seemed to work for us and uh we ended up winning the whole tournament and it was we're a low-budget team we, we we won against a high-budget team and it was it was just a really nice story because the people the guy who's the captain of the team a guy called james harper is a really down-to-earth kind of guy who's uh yeah, he he really puts an effort in. He comes from uh, very humble beginnings and and stuff like that. So it was it was really pleasing to to win it and to win it for him. He's a he's a really good guy. And um, she said to me uh, when I got the cup, she said, to, uh, "So um, where's scone?" And I said, oh, "It's in Australia." And, you know, "Oh yeah, yes." Yeah. And she said, "Has an Australian won this before?" And I said, "No." And she said, oh, "I think it's been going for sixty years." And, and, and I said, yeah, that's right. And then she said, so um, are you allowed to take the cup? And she just gave it to me. I said, I don't know, but I'm going to try and do it. I'll
0: <laughs> oh, you are. Not leaving it in the UK. You've got to yeah. come back and show everyone.
1: Anyway, yeah. and then she—that's the, the, we were having a laugh, and at that point in time, all the cameras started going. Anyway, <laughs> and... The next day, I actually came back to Australia, and I actually did take the bat. It was a massive cup, and I took it in my carry-on. And um, anyway, no, it was a, yeah, it was a couple of days later. No, no, it's right. a couple of weeks later. It was a couple of weeks later I left because there was an article that came out in Polo, whatever it is, magazine, and I was on the, I was on the front cover with the Queen. Anyway, yeah. I go through the, um, the X-ray machine, and <laughs> there's this massive cup in my bag, and. <laughs> And, that, you know, I got pulled aside, what the heck, what's this about? <laughs> and, and anyway, I didn't say anything, I just had the magazine because I knew I'd have a problem. I just pulled out the magazine with <laughs> me, and the, me and the Queen. And got, oh, shit, Christ straight Christ. through, no problem, <laughs> straight through. <laughs>
0: because, because we've got this elite sporting star with us.
1: You well, know, like we're not hurt uh, of this guy,
0: but here he is. Yeah, yeah. It is a weird, oh, funny.
1: it's a weird sport because you... I'm actually not that great at it, but you did play with one of the some of the best people in the world and it's, it's really it's been a, a good lesson for me about um, respect, sportsmanship, team having team, team teamwork you know mm-hmm. and that, that a good team is much better than a team of cha- a, a team of champions and and um, they're against all odds and we, we managed to, to do well. it was because there was respect. And uh, the team had, had a culture of respect for each other. Um, yeah. Polo does have a lot of wealthy people that play it and they do have come along with their egos and they treat people appallingly some of the time. And, mm. um, and I don't do that and, and, um, and it's all about respect and doing the right thing and, and being passionate and giving back to, yeah. to, to others and, and to individuals within your team.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Sounds like you did a Steve Bradbury. Anyway.
1: No, yeah, it was. a <laughs> like. we were the Jamaica Bobsled team at the beginning and then we we're the Stephen Bravery at the end.
0: Exactly. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Um, now look finally, um, because it's been a great chat, outside of the world of investing, what have you been reading or watching or listening of late that you'd recommend to anyone listening?
1: I've been reading a book called It's Your Ship. It's a it's a book by uh, captain by uh, of the in the USA Navy, uh a guy called Michael Abrashoft. and it's a really good leadership book actually and, and I think anybody who's involved with business it's worth looking at because it was you know, this guy took over a ship that was not a Navy ship that was not doing that well and he managed to be able to incentivize all the crew and and basically talk have them feel ownership of the ship you know and it's a it's a big issue that everybody has i think we've done well in this business because i think at the end of the day everybody wants to feel responsible that that they've added value they want to feel accountable and they want to feel um appreciated they want to feel ownership in the success of something you know people most people don't want to go to work and just do a mundane job and not not do the right thing, and this book is all about empowering individuals within, you know, empowering the the, the seamen in the ship, you know, empowering people about giving them accountability, making them feel good, making them feel that they're doing the right thing, and so it's um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a really good book when it comes to leadership.
0: My husband ha- actually happens to be ex Australian Navy, and he's a big sailor. I'm I'm definitely going to buy it for him because it sounds like it's right up his uh. Right up his alley, so I know exactly what you're talking about. There you go.
1: And my dad, my dad is 94, and his mind's still, he's still great. He can't see very well. My mum's 90, um, but my dad had that book uh, read to him recently. Oh,
0: wow!
1: He was in the navy back in 1945. Oh, and he oh awesome! And he it was yeah, a fantastic thing. So.
0: Well, look, David, thank you for joining us today. I mean, uh, magnificent conversation, really enjoyed it, and um, it is the final podcast in Season 1 of Conversations with Future Generation. Look, um, I want to thank you. I also want to thank you for your fabulous uh, pro bono support as a fund manager for both FGX and FGG and, of course, for being on the board. Of FGX as well. So thank you, and sincerely mean that your contribution is is absolutely over and above to make these companies so successful.
1: How much? This is not a Dorothy Dix. Uh, I can't remember actually the number, but but since we started, how much how much is it now that you've been able to give away?
0: Yeah, look, it's an incredible. We've been going now for six
1: years, and
0: we've actually donated up till now forty one point two million dollars to youth at risk and mental health uh, charities in just six years. So, um, yeah, it's it's an incredible privilege to to do the role and to work with people like you. So, thank you, and um, thank you everyone for listening. And I look forward to bringing you the second season of our podcast series in. 2021. Thank you and have a lovely break over the summer.
1: Thank you.